Good morning. I'd like to welcome you back to another edition of our Anchored in the Word Morning Reflection. And uh, we're working our way through Psalm 34. So if you have a Bible, please take it with us. And we're looking at verses 11 through 22. But our focus today will be starting in verse 17. So I'm going to read the whole section uh, just so that we get the context. And then we're going to look at verse 17. It says, Come ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the, the Lord delivereth him out of them all. He keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none that trust in him shall be desolate. If you remember yesterday when we were talking about this passage, we dealt with the fact that we need to be instructed in the fear of the Lord. And we need to be reminded continually of God's greatness and his power and his holiness. And as his children, we should have a deep reverential awe and a gratitude towards God. Well, we're going to move away from that portion of the psalm, and we're going to look at verses 17 to 22. And the focus of today's study is going to be on how God cares for his children. And we need to be reminded, in the same way that we need to be instructed to fear the Lord, we need to be reminded of how God takes care of his children. And God is a good father, and we're going to see that come out in these verses. Here's what it says, again, verse 17. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth, and delivereth them out of all their troubles. He is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, save as such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. So we see several different pieces to this passage that talk about how God cares for his children. The first is what we see in verse 17, where it says that the righteous cry, and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The idea is that God listens to us when we cry out. And I think I gave this illustration on Sunday, and uh, the illustration is when you have a small child, a newborn, and that baby is uh, laying in a bassinet next to mom and dad in their room, and uh, every single little whimper and every single little noise, um, you hear that, and you hear that because you're attentive to the cry, that gentle cry of that little child um, who is so dependent and so needy. And that is kind of the sense that God cares for his children with this attention to their great needs. That's the idea in verse 17. We also see in verse 18 this next statement that the Lord is nigh or he's near those who are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. The idea is that he's never going to abandon those who are emotionally broken. And as his children, there are times where we get into places that are dark, that are lonely, that we are discouraged, we're not thinking clearly, we're not thinking biblically, and we're allowing our emotions to uh, to press us away from looking at things objectively. And in those situations, God doesn't stand aloof, but in fact, he loves us dearly and he doesn't abandon us and he draws close to us. And we see that he draws nigh to those who are of a broken heart. 
Um, this reminds me of passages that talk about how God doesn't abandon his children. For instance, Psalm 830, or excuse me, Romans 8, 38 to 39. It says that Paul writes, I'm persuaded that there's nothing and no one that can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, the emphasis of Romans 8 is the security of the believer, but it's not just the security of the believer. It's the love of God for the believer that he secures. There's nothing that can stand between the Christian and God's love for them. Or Hebrews 13, 5, he says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He reminds us that his presence is ever with us. And I want to remind you this morning that the believer is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And so literally the presence of God in the person of the Holy Spirit indwells each one of us who have placed our faith in Christ and are sealed until the redemption of that purchased possession. Also, we see a third element to this, not just that he is attentive to our cries and that he doesn't abandon us, but he takes everything that goes on in our lives and he uses them to accomplish good. We see this in verse 19. He says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. And so he's emphasizing the fact that there's nothing that is outside of the, the, the control and the work of the Spirit of God. He can take anything and he can use it to accomplish good. And he can deliver us out of anything. And that's a promise. That's an all-encompassing promise. And sometimes in life, it's hard for us to actually believe this when it comes to the difficulties of life. And so I want to remind you of some scriptures that, that also teach the same principle. Genesis 50, verse 20. We know the story of Joseph. And he's standing before his brothers. And he says, as for you, you, you thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good to save much people alive. The idea is that God permitted this to happen. He permitted you to do what you did. He didn't cause you to do it. He didn't force you to do it. But he allowed it. And when he allowed it, his purpose was far bigger than, than your immediate desire to harm me as your brother. God used it for good. Or in 2 Corinthians 4.17, it says that our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more and exceeding eternal weight of glory. Romans 8.28, we know that all things... We're together for good to them that love God, to them are the called according to his purpose. And then I think of James chapter 1, where it says that we are to count it all joy when we fall into diverse temptations, knowing that the trying of our faith worketh patience. What's the point? The point is that God can take anything in our lives and he can use them for redemptive purposes. He can take our experiences of hardship and difficulty and use them to build us and shape us into the image of Christ and ultimately to give us a greater and deeper, richer appreciation, experiential knowledge of God as he is. But there's a fourth piece to this, and the fourth piece is really at the heart of what makes all these things possible. God listening to his children, not abandoning us, using all things to accomplish good, all of those principles are rooted in a far greater principle, and that is that God has sent his son, and his son has established a basis for us to be a redeemed people to God. And we see this in verse 20. When I read it, you're going to go, what does this have to do with God sending his son? Well, as we, as we explain it a little bit more, I think you'll understand it. But he says it in verse 20 this way, he keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. 
Now, the, the focus of David in the psalm has continually been in the plural, on individuals as a group, collectively. For instance, in Psalm 34, 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around them that fear him. He delivereth them, that is, in the plural. Or in verse 9, he says, O fear the Lord, ye his saints, in the plural. There's no want or lack to them, plural, that fear him. Verse 15, he says that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their cry. That's plural again. Verse 17, the righteous crieth, and the Lord heareth and delivereth them, plural again, out of all their troubles. Verse 18, the Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. So we have seen that David has consistently used the plural when he's referring to his audience because he's talking to individuals. But then he changes in verse 20. He says he keepeth all his bones, and not one of them is broken. You see that the focus of the psalm has changed. He's gone from talking about how God works in our lives, and he's talking about something God did in the life of one individual, and that individual is Christ. And what really helps us to understand this is that a thousand years later, as Jesus is hanging on the cross, and he's finished paying the price for our sin, John writes about this statement, Psalm 34:20, And when we read what John wrote, all of a sudden, it makes so much more sense. I would say that if someone was reading this a thousand years before when David had written these words, and, and they're reading through this passage and they see that, they go, huh, it's different. I wonder if he's talking about somebody different than the rest of us. And the answer is, of course he is. Notice what it says in John 19.32. Then came the soldiers and break the legs of the first and of, of them which were on the cross with him. But when they came to Jesus, he saw that he was dead already. They break not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear thrust it into his side, and forthwith there came out blood and water. And he that saw it, that's John, bear record that this is true. And he knoweth, and he saith, that ye might believe. For these things were done, that the scriptures should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. And again, another scripture saith, they shall look upon him whom they've pierced. So when, when, when the psalmist is writing these verses, when David's writing them, he's actually writing about the Messiah. And he's writing about the fact that the Messiah is going to go to the cross and he's going to die for our sins. But when he is dead, those Roman soldiers who come to him are going to confirm that he's dead, not uh, needing to break his legs because they will thrust a spear up into his side. And when David wrote this, I, I would have to doubt that David really understood all the implications of what he was writing. Perhaps he understood he's talking about the Messiah here. Perhaps he didn't. I don't know. But that is clearly, according to the rest of Scripture, what John is talking about. And folks, that really is the climax of Psalm 34. The climax of Psalm 34 is that all of this is true because of what Christ did. And in our greatest comfort in all of life is that we are comforted in Christ and we have a heavenly father because of what he did for us. And we can see this in the content without the cross, there's no ultimate triumph in a fallen world, but we can also see it in the structure of the Psalm. And I'm not gonna get into that too much tonight or this morning, whatever. Uh, but what I am gonna do 
is I'm going to I'm going to refer back to this on the next morning when we talk about this. So I hope that you'll join us again tomorrow as we uh, keep working our way through this and we comment on this last little piece of the structure of the psalm. Hope that gives you some things to think about this morning. And Lord willing, tomorrow we'll meet again. And uh, if this has been an encouragement to you, I hope that you'll share that. Perhaps share it with another person that could be encouraged by it. And Lord willing, we'll meet again tomorrow. Have a blessed day. Bye now.